The following sermon was preached at Selma Community Church, a church in Jefferson City that exists to build communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God by connecting people to Christ in community. For more information, you can find it at www.somajc.org. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. We don't say that enough, do we? Well, I love to hear the Christmas carols as we sang this morning. They always warm my heart. They make my season complete. I love to sing of our Savior, and we sang many songs today celebrating the birth of of Jesus. Um, You no doubt will be singing more carols today and tonight, maybe even tomorrow. But as you do, whether you're in the shower or driving in the car or in worship, you know, I hope you stop and, or don't stop, keep singing. But I hope that you don't just methodically move your mouth to the words and the tune. I hope you think about the lyrics of these carols. They're just, they're fascinatingly deep about the majesty of our God. And I hope that you don't, I, I get myself caught in that sometimes. I find myself just moving my mouth. And I forget to think about how deep the, the message is in these songs. But thank you, Dan. I appreciate the uh, having the carols today that meant a lot. And thank you for not making us sing uh, Grandma Got Run Over by the Reindeer. So today we continue our sermon series in the Advent. Uh, last week, Ricky took us to Bethlehem with a deeper understanding of why Bethlehem. What did Bethlehem mean? These are important stages of of this um, of Christmas, of understanding how it all went down. And so this week, we're going to carry forward, and we're going to talk about the virgin birth of Jesus. Next week, Ricky will, will you're not here, right? We'll be uh, wrapping up the Advent series, uh, and we, we enter the fullness of, of Christ. So uh, let's stop for just a minute and let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for sending your son to, to this earth in such a humble way and for dying for our sins to cover what we can't bear. Lord, thank you for the miracle of it and for the ever-pressing uh, joy that we have because of it. And Lord, I just pray now that you would take this service, open our hearts, open our minds, take my words, remove me from this message, Lord, and speak through me. Let the scriptures that we talk of burn deep in our hearts. For it's in your precious name I pray this. Amen. So we're going to look at the the verse uh, that we've already sang about and saw and actually got into Isaiah earlier today already. But go, if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to Isaiah seven fourteen and just kind of stick your finger in that page and uh, follow along because we're going to bounce throughout the Old Testament for the most part. But that'll be our focus verse for today. You know, there's been a lot of unusual births in the world, wouldn't you say? The Carolina, I believe I'm going to mess these names up, so forgive me. Carolina Sherenza, she gave birth to a baby in a tree. After four days of being in a tree, 
she gave birth to a healthy baby girl. She climbed in the tree in Mozambique in the, the year 2000. There were some serious storms that moved through that country and extreme flooding. To escape the threat of alligators and drowning, she climbed into a tree and had a baby four days later. That's unusual. In 2008, Rajo Devi, I believe is how she pronounces her name, she became the oldest woman to give birth, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. She and her husband, they had been trying to have a baby for the entire 50 years of their marriage. And at age 70, she finally had one. I guess the, they forgot to consider Sarah in that record, but we'll give it to Rajo for now. Carmelina Fidel of Aversa, Italy, holds the record for the largest surviving baby and where the mother survived ever born. This record still stands from 1955. The baby weighed in at, are you ready? 22 pounds, 8 ounces. 22 pounds, 8 ounces. And the most children ever born to one woman at one time. Anybody know this one? In May of 2021, a Mali woman named Halima Sise gave birth to nine babies. Previous record was eight before that. And yes, there is a word for that, and it's not a litter. It's non-uplets. Non-uplets. Now, I tried to find the odds of that happening, and I, they, I guess, are still working on the math of what are the odds of someone having nine babies. But they do have odds for how many, or for, for having eight babies or quintuplets. The odds of that happening are 20 trillion Nine hundred and seventy-one billion five hundred and twenty million to one. Extremely rare. But the virgin birth of Jesus is no doubt the most unusual birth that has ever happened. I don't think there's any odds for that. Jesus' birth didn't just give us give the world another birth. It also gave the world hope because of how he came into the world, what his life was to become, and what he did in it. The debate over the miraculous birth, the virgin birth, it's gone on for thousands of years, all the way from first century scholars, even up all the way up to today's arguments in, with the biologists of how birth happens and, and the possibilities of a virgin birth or a fatherless birth. But the Bible holds countless historical accounts and prophecies to support the conception of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. A few weeks ago, Pastor John reminded us of the earliest prediction of this. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I will put an enmity between you and the woman, in speaking to the devil, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your heel and you shall bruise his heel. 
For generations before Isaiah came onto the scene, there had been many prophecies. Ricky told us last week, 800 years before his birth, Micah predicted that he would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah then prophesied 700 years before Jesus was born. Hosea said he would come out of um, Egypt, and many prophets said that he would come by way of Galilee. Why is that important? Well, because if you look at the holy books of the 26 or so world religions, there's something missing out of every one of them. And that is detailed prophecy that has been fulfilled. Scholars have concluded that there are in the neighborhood of 300 prophecies in the Bible that deal directly with Jesus Christ's virgin birth. So let's look at uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. We've already sang of this. We've seen it uh, already in your, in your uh, browsing of the Bible, but here it goes. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So let's take a minute and let's look at chapter 7. I'm going to give you an overview of what's going on in chapter 7. So at that time, Israel was divided. And Judah to the south was headquartered in Jerusalem, and they were about to be attacked by three other countries to the north and just to the east of them. So there was north Israel, that was the first country, that was uh, headquartered in Samaria. Then there was Syria, that was headquartered in Damascus. And then a much bigger problem was a country known then as Assyria. And Assyria today, it kind of makes up part of Turkey and Iraq. So it kind of gives you the geography of this. It's, it was a problem back then, and it is still a problem today. But So word came to Ahaz, the king of Judah, that North Israel and Syria were going to attack them. And... Um, Ahaz was pretty confident in his army. He knew that he could defend those two, or he felt like he could, but he was very concerned about the larger army of Assyria. So he sends a bribe offering to Assyria that basically says, don't attack me, I'm going to pay you to attack the other two guys if you would. Assyria liked the sound of that, and that went on. But in the meantime, God sends Isaiah a prophet, to see King Ahaz. So I, Isaiah told Ahaz not to worry. These three armies are no big deal. Uh, all you got to do is trust in God. Put your faith in God. God's going to deal with Assyria. It's not even going to be a thing in a few years. Don't worry about it. Then Ahaz went on to say, ask God for a sign. Ask him anything you want. Make it as big as you want. Go ahead. Ask him. And Ahaz says, I'm not going to ask him. I'm not going to ask him anything. I'm not going to tempt the Lord. What he was really saying was, I don't trust him. I've got my money on Assyria. He was looking to Assyria to protect him instead of God.
So Isaiah then turns and says, look, it's bad enough that you and the entire house of David are straying from God. Don't be such a hypocrite. You're going to get a sign anyway, and here it is. So he goes on to say, a virgin will conceive and have a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that's loaded news back then. In this prophecy, God gave us three things. He gave us a sign. He gave us a son. And he gave us a savior. So what is a sign? Well, in Hebrew, the word means token, uh, a mark, a signal, or even, I guess you could call it, a miracle. Today, we see signs as simple as road signs that have become so necessary for us to know where we're going and how far it is. We even, you know, I'm quite certain that by, by the time we're on the road tomorrow to Iowa for Christmas, there will be signs that answer that question, how much further is it? You know, I think some of us even nowadays depend heavily on our navigation devices. I was talking to my son last night, and I asked him if he knew what a map was. And he, he described it as that antique piece of paper that, that he, I have in my truck. But... Um, Navigation devices have become critically necessary if you're going to go someplace that you've never been before. Some of us even look to fortune cookies as a, a sign, a prophecy. But I guarantee you that you're not necessarily going to be handed a large sum of money just because that fortune cookie told you so. I know because I have yet to see that large sum of money myself. But, you know, the prophecies in the Bible are just that. They're signs, signs for us to follow. If we just pay attention to them, listen to them, and we'll follow. During the time of Moses, the people of Israel were very restless. They were struggling, in fact. As time passed in the wilderness, uh, idolatry, other pagan worship became much more attractive. They were tired of waiting on God waiting for God. Many of these people were, were children or even teens when they left Egypt. And by in time, they had forgotten all about what their grandparents and parents, perhaps, had gone through in Egypt. They had forgotten the, what faith means because it just didn't seem real. It just didn't seem like it was ever going to happen. There were fewer and fewer people that remembered why you should fully trust God. And so false prophecy became uh, a very attractive and lively instrument of their worship. Moses writes in Deuteronomy 13, uh, verse 3, he sums up what, what you should do about a false prophet or a dreamer of dreams, as he calls it. You should not listen to the words of the prophet or dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. He carries on in uh, chapter 18, verse 22. He says, when a prophet speaks 
in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is the word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You, should, you need not be afraid of it. Kind of makes you wonder, though, if the people of Israel, if they had been more in tune with their faith in God, if they were more trusting of God and believing in God, do you think they would have been in the wilderness for 40 years? How about you? If you have your, if you fully trust and obey God, do you think you're going to spend so much time trying to get through your problems? People of Judah were living their lives just waiting and watching. They needed signs. They especially signs for the Messiah to free them from oppression. When the prophets like Isaiah relayed um, the word of the promise or the hope, they no doubt doubted whether it was real or not. There was so much time had passed eventually. But on the other hand, the Jewish people were used to waiting because they'd been waiting for hundreds if not thousands of years. But so let's fast forward. Following Isaiah's prophecy, let's go 700 years forward where Matthew in chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, he recalls the prophecies of old and he cites the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. He says... All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. That's Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then God gave us a son. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and have a son. Now that's quite a sign, isn't it? I mean, the ultrasound comes back and shows that a virgin is pregnant. Not just a sign, that's a miraculous sign. See, this is where Joseph had a problem with this whole thing. I can just imagine Joseph on the outskirts of town, wandering around, thinking to himself, just talking out loud to himself. Man, I, I just don't know about this. I mean... I know it wasn't me. You know, I could just hear him say, you know, I mean, she said I was the one for her, the only one. But there's only one way this happens. I mean, you can imagine what he was going through before the angel came to him in a dream and settled his mind. Think just a minute, though. Um, I want to say what the angel told him. Be not afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. There's really nothing, I think, that would settle you down more than an angel talk. <laughs> and so uh, I'm sure most of us would like to have an angel talk occasionally. 
So many years ago, when Larry King was still at CNN, he was asked a question in an interview. If you could interview one person, who would it be and what would you ask? And he said, I would interview Jesus Christ. And I'd ask him one question. I would ask, were you really born of a virgin? Why did that matter so much to him? Because he was Jewish. And if Jesus was born of a virgin, that changed everything for him. It changes everything for the Jews. Everything had to change in what they believed. No human has ever been born without the contribution of a father. There's only one person who has ever been born that did not have an earthly father, and that was Jesus. It never happened before, it'll never happen again. So let's talk about Mary. I mean, once she got over the initial shock that Gabriel, the angel of all, came to talk to her, and then he unloads on her that she's pregnant? Really? I mean, she had to be totally lost. You know, how am I going to deal with this? What am I going to say to my community, my family? I would think most women in that time would panic, have a great deal of dread, not know what to do. I mean, culture would have been 100% against her. Not Mary. She understood the exact significance of what was happening. Luke 1, verses 46 through 55 is noteworthy. This is where it tells us that Mary was so saturated by the, the word, so deep in her cultural, religious history, that she was willing to embrace her role fully for the kingdom of God and for the sake of history. Luke records that she wrote a song, and that is titled Mary's Song of Praise, or the Magnificent, if you're, perhaps you've known it that way. Some people call it the Virgin Song. But this song is full of humility. Verse by verse, it tells you her references of the Old Testament covenant from God's promises from long ago. It also, um, well, can you just imagine, just imagine yourself as Mary for a moment when you suddenly realize that everything you've been taught all your life, all the memories of the promises of God come crashing in on you when you realize that you are the one that God has chosen to bring the Savior into this world. I mean, you could, get, you could get your head full and become quite proud, but Mary, there's nothing in the passage that leads us to believe that Mary thought of herself as the point or object of adoration. The first verse of that song, and I encourage you to go back and uh, read the whole thing. But it says, What strength my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
She didn't call attention to herself there. She's calling her attention to who she knows is her Savior. Yes, Pastor John, Mary did know. So he gave us a sign. He gave us a son. And he gave us a Savior. Back to Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin will conceive and have a son and call him Emmanuel. Some people have wondered why God didn't just name him Emmanuel from the beginning. Well, in Matthew 1, chapter 23, Emmanuel, or pardon me, Emmanuel is defined as God with us. Emmanuel is a title, not a name. I love the way chapter 9, verse 6, we read it earlier. We read it first thing this morning. The way it further describes our Savior. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are all respectful titles that we sing of in every one of our carols. Names had a very personal and often spiritual meaning in those times. Mary and Joseph, they were given a very specific instruction of what to name their child. Jesus. Jesus was a very common name to the Jewish people. That's why he was known as Jesus of Nazareth, to better identify who we're talking about. God chose a common name to show us his humanity. Jesus is the name of a man. Historically, the name Jesus is the Greek form of the name Joshua. And you'll remember Joshua was, was the one that replaced Moses and delivered the Israelites to the people of Israel to Canaan, to the promised land. In Hebrew, Joshua and Jesus come from the root word meaning the Lord is salvation. God's prophecies were very specific. They came with specific messages. His prophecies named very specific places where things would happen very specific people to carry the word with very, very specific timing. The more, the more that you look at the prophecies of Jesus' birth and fulfillment of the prophecies, the more you realize that God went to very extreme measures to make sure that we didn't mess it up, to make sure that we knew exactly who was to be our Savior. He is human because he came through the womb of Mary. He is God because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. In short, the child born of a virgin will be the mighty God, our Savior and Redeemer. So why do we focus so much on the virgin birth? I mean, is it really that big of a deal that he had to be come to us by 
way of a virgin? Oh, yes, it is. See, if, if there was no virgin birth, then there is no Savior. If Jesus... But this is the basic truth of our faith. If Jesus had been born just like everybody else, then Jesus isn't God. And if he isn't God, then he lied to us. And the prophets lied to us. And if the scriptures lie, then our salvation is a hoax. But the thing that separates Jesus from all the other men first was that he was expected. Even the Gentiles were longing for a redeemer. Unlike the prophecies of Jesus' coming, there were no predictions that Buddha, Confucius, or Muhammad, or anybody else was coming. But there were predictions about Jesus. All the others just simply showed up and said, here I am, believe me. They were only men among men. They were not the divine. Second, the second distinguishing fact is that once he appeared, he had such an impact on history that he split it in two. All of a sudden, we had two different times, before him and after him. Buddha didn't do that, neither did any of the Indian philosophers. So, a third fact that separates him from others is that every other person that came into the world came to live in it. He came to die. Christ's death is death and resurrection. That was the goal and the fulfillment of his life. Very few of the things of his words or his actions while he was alive on this earth make any sense unless you reference the cross and his resurrection. His end was God's first priority. It's as though, really, that he lived his life in reverse order. His death and resurrections was the first intention of his life. And then he was born. Because God gave us Jesus to die for our sins as a sign that we don't have to live life of guilt. That when our life here on earth is over and we, that we have the right to live with God in heaven if only we believe in him. What clearer way did God have of drawing attention to our Savior than a miraculous birth and a miraculous end? So, yes, there have been plenty of unusual births in the world, but none as unusual as the one that Jesus had, the virgin birth. It was a birth miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit, God chose Mary, a virgin, to bear a child, raise him, to die on the cross eventually, and to fulfill prophecy shown to us by the scriptures generations before Jesus ever came.
Now, in closing, I want to read a segment of a sermon that was written by then 20-year-old Charles Spurgeon. This sermon was written for his Christmas Eve service in 1854, 169 years ago today. It's kind of hard to believe that it's still around, but if you've read anything of Charles Spurgeon and you know of his deep thinking, you understand why they're still around. Uh, he was the pastor of the Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle in London in the late 19th, mid to late 19th century. Uh, and I just want to share a portion of this sermon that he, he presented. Um, I actually considered simply reading the entire service, the sermon for this service today, but it looked like it was going to take about two hours, so I decided that we would just talk about a small piece. But if you are into old preachers and their sermons, I encourage you to read his entire sermon. So instead, um, listen to how he summarizes the humble birth of our Lord Jesus in Bethlehem. And I'm just going to read that. I'm going to read this exactly how he wrote it. Remember, he's in England in 1854. He came out of a village poor and despised even Bethlehem. When there he was not born in a governor's house or in the mansion of the chief man, but in a manger. Tradition tells us that his manger was cut in the solid rock. There was he laid, and the oxen likely enough came to feed from the self-same manger. The hay and the fodder was his, was his only bed. Oh, wondrous stoop of condescension that our blessed Jesus should be girded with humility and stoop so low. If he stooped, why should he bend to such lowly birth? And if he bowed, why should he submit not simply to become the son of, the, of poor parents, but to be born in such a miserable a place? Let us take courage here. If Jesus Christ was born in a manger in a rock, why should he not come to live in our rocky hearts? If he was born in a stable, why should not the stable of our souls be made into a habitation for him? If he was born in poverty, May not the poor in spirit expect that he will be their friend? If he thus ended degradation, endured degradation at the first, will he count it as dishonor to come to the very poorest and humblest of his creatures and tabernacle in the souls of his children? Oh, no. We can gather a lesson of comfort from this humble parentage. And we shall rejoice that not a queen or an empress, but that a humble woman became the mother of the Lord of glory. The sermon is incredibly impressive. It requires much more than what I gave it. But So at Soma, you know, we have a phrase around here that we speak a lot uh, about this time of year. Every year, 
November. This year it was October when we started preparing for affordable Christmas. Uh, we hear it a lot, and that phrase is, a child makes a difference. And Jesus Christ was that child. He still is that child that truly makes a difference. I want to leave you with today's soul tattoo, which is God gave us a sign, a son, and most important, Savior. Now, Dan's going to come back up, and he's going to sing one more song with us. And um, this is a time for you to really contemplate Jesus Christ, how he came to us. Contemplate the entire Advent, our hope and joy in waiting on him to come, our Savior. And if he's not your Savior, and you want to know more about how to claim him as your Savior, I'll be in the back. Ricky and John will be available. We want to talk to you. You really need to leave this place today knowing who Jesus Christ is, who God is, and that God loves you. Thank you for listening to the audio of Soma Community Church located in Jefferson City. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for the content or alter it in any way without express written permission. For more information about Soma, please visit us at www.somajc.org.